Welcome to the Bards FM Podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to A Conversation with Luke of Voices of Reason, Part 1. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots, and today is Friday, December 9th in the year 2022. Patriots, we have a very special evening tonight. We have a two-part episode of Bards FM now and then again at at, uh, 9 p.m. Pacific, which is in place of Fishers of Men. This is a great interview with one of the great minds literally in the Patriot movement. It's Luke from Voices of Reasons, B-O-R, and he's based primarily on TikTok, really somebody to listen to. His mission is literally to destroy the ridiculousness of science and to continue to prove that the Bible is our true history. He's extremely well-versed in all aspects of science, and tonight we get into some really good topics, which I had kind of queued up when he was on the show last time, and we've literally dig deep into some various aspects, which is all driven towards proving the power of the Holy Spirit and the beauty of our scriptures. I will tell you tonight is going to be some real headbenders to think about, and it's going to challenge some of you, and that's the way it should be, I guess, and in, in, in growing the, in the body of Christ. But it's an exciting uh, journey that we're going to take tonight in looking at science and the greatness of Scripture and really how things are working, at least a perspective on how things are working in our world. Before we begin, make sure that you're taking very seriously this war that's being waged on our freedom and our liberty. The keys to that is to control the money and to control the food. First of all, let's talk about making sure that you've got enough food and preparation that can last on the shelf and endure this storm. Patriots, if you haven't heard, we're heading into the worst diesel fuel shortage in 70 years. And that's a big problem. Because if truckers can't get enough fuel, grocery stores could go empty. You need to stock up now on emergency food. Visit MyPatriotSupply.com and grab a special offer from My Patriot Supply, the nation's largest preparedness company. You'll save 25% on their four-week emergency food kit with a wide variety of breakfasts, lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks that provide over 2,000 calories a day for strength and energy. My Patriot Supply wants to help American families more by charging less. So go to MyPatriotSupply.com and you'll save 25% on their four-week emergency food kit. Order enough to get your family through the difficult times ahead. At least one kit per person in your home. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and grab all the four-week kits you need. MyPatriotSupply.com Patriots, food is security, both mentally and spiritually. And the time to prepare is now. MyPatriotSupply.com We're going to get you prepared for the coming storm as it rolls in off of the ocean side. 
sort of, sort of, kind of, not really, but that's a nice way of putting it, isn't it? As if it's just going to blow over us and give us some nice rain. If you're in the Midwest, you might get some snow. Who knows? Lots of it, maybe. But digging our digging our way out of this winter. So, Patriots, the world that we're in is so crazy, and the problem we have around us right now is so much of what is going on are narratives that are being developed literally by the father of lies. And we have to be very cognizant of that. We're going to cover a lot of those sorts of things as well tonight on the influence of what we believe and how that shapes our reality. I think you're going to be enjoying this show a lot tonight. Again, it's two parts. Part one is now, and the next part, part two, will be for Fishers. And before we jump into this, make sure you are also in this crazy time ensuring that your wealth is protected as best you can possibly do. Patriots, will the lack of red wave during the midterms lead to a more emboldened Biden, more wasteful government spending, higher taxes, a deepening of inflation? And how do you protect your hard-earned savings from chaotic financial markets? The answer? By diversifying your retirement savings with real physical precious metals with Birch Gold Group. Text BARDS to 989898 for a free info kit on protecting your savings with gold in a tax-sheltered account. Birch Gold has almost 20 years experience converting IRAs and 401ks into precious metals IRAs. Text BARDS to 989898 and claim your free no-obligation info kit now. Don't let the left devalue your savings. Own physical gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account from Birch Gold. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied customers. Text BARDS to 989898 and secure your future with gold. Do it today. Birch Gold. Text BARDS to 989898. All right, Patriots. So let me reintroduce you to Luke from Voices, or excuse me, Voice of Reasons, VOR. Here we go. Patriots, I am very honored once again to have probably one of the most enlightening voices on the web when it comes to dispelling the insanity of science and elevating the power of Scripture. And this is Luke from Voice of Reasons, VOR. Really powerful presence on TikTok. If you're not following him, you should. But I'm just going to tell you, I think you're going to be in for a real show today. We've got some great topics ahead of us. And if there's anybody that can slay science and show you the power of scripture as a living and real history. This is the man. Luke, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Brother Scott, thanks for having me on. That was an amazing intro and very well said. That's the point. Uh, The mission statement of VOR is to defend the creator and the information war. And that's what we're doing. So uh, I appreciate that uh, intro. Absolutely. You're doing it phenomenally. We talked a little bit at the beginning and I just, I can't think there's a good entry point and that is really looking at this idea of how biblical history and scripture is it is a living history and we have at the other hand this dark counter narrative it's almost like the hegelian dialectic we're in real play when we start talking about darwinism and darwinian theory and what that's done to the corruption of our whole histories and our understanding of who we are i think that's probably a good place to start i love that you started there so uh there, there's one truth and, I, and we know that and we we believe jesus is the truth but uh, if you don't have the truth, you have a gradient of misinformation. And I think it's pretty safe to say everybody that's watched the uh, events unfold over the last couple of years, that it's pretty hard to trust 
the official narrative, whether it's the, uh, you know, kind of political, uh, in particular, the scientific narrative you're getting. And so I know we talked last time, but God challenged me uh, many, many years ago when I uh, decided to come back to the faith, you know, how, how do I reconcile the Bible with evolution and, and you know, the secular kind of uh, science? And he said, you trust the word first, and if you can disprove it scientifically, I'll let you off the hook, basically. I'm definitely paraphrasing, but uh, this research now, uh, a year and a half full-time as a content creator, the confidence in Scripture is growing every day. I'm probably up in the 98 percentile that it's the valid living Word of God. keep finding all these really cool uh, hidden gems in there that maybe you don't read uh, when you just kind of skim over it topically. But at the same time, the truth of the living Word of God and this being our actual history is elucidating how dark the uh, anti-truth is. The anti-truth that we were basically subjected to and indoctrinated to believe as children and up through today, you know, with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson and Michio Kaku and, and Bill Nye and Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens and all these guys, there's a deliberate secular anti-God science. And if you know uh, Charles Lyell, who is the father of modern geology, uh, he died many, many years ago. He was uh, in the time of Darwin. He said that specifically uh, the brand of science they were working on was going to free science from Moses. And, and people don't see this, but basically the evolutionary narrative from the Big Bang to today is the antithesis information uh, to what scripture says. All right, well, so let's dig into that because I, I think that's something that really rocks at the very core of so many things we're even facing today in, in the modern interpretations of that and, and various aberrations of that. Right. So, I mean, we, we're going to go pretty deep into this. I think we're going to try and cover some of the ge uh, geology, some of the history. Uh, I want to get into quantum physics, but basically at the very core of this, uh, Plato and Democritus used to have this discussion about the nature of reality. And in the discussion, it was, is our reality an idealist reality or a material reality? And the difference between those two, one of those two is, uh, one of those two is likely true. So uh, idealism says that a consciousness is responsible for creating this material reality. Materialism says that the material reality came into existence by whatever means and evolved to a state where it created consciousness. And so one of those two is likely true. Well, you were taught materialism. You were taught it uh, via what I call the priests of the religion of science. Uh, this this is even guys like Einstein, you know, the venerated Einstein. The, the guy was a hack. <laughs> I'm going to cover some of his misinformation. Um, you know, he basically, he spent a huge chunk of his life trying to dispel or discredit quantum physics because it didn't fit his narrative. He, you know, he believed in a steady uh, static state universe. It always has been here. Uh, he had to, in order to keep this steady state universe, he came up with something called the cosmologic constant, which was even in his admonition, his biggest mistake, but he, he, he was soft labbing. He was baking uh, the formulas to fit his narrative. And he had this rigid philosophy of materialism. And when quantum physics was coming out, you know, he called quantum entanglement spooky action at a distance. Uh, he said, you know, I don't like this. This it doesn't fit my narrative. Uh, he was a, a huge adherent to, uh, what is it called? Uh, I, real locality. So he believed that everything had to be in a fixed place in, in space and time. And so in quantum entanglement saying that, 
things can be uh, in different, two different places uh, in the universe and be communicating the same information. He goes, I, I can't deal with this. So basically, guys like uh, Darwin, Lyell, even Einstein were put up in a, on a soapbox. There, that's who you uh, research, you know, when you're in school on the textbooks, and they taught you that nothing created this reality. It uh, exploded into existence. Now, I debate a lot of atheists, and they go, well, no, no, they don't think it's a Big Bang. They don't think it's an explosion anymore. They think it's an expansion. Their narrative is always changing. They always have to change their uh, their, their version of the story because as new information comes out, it turns out they were you know dead wrong. But So you have this explosion, creates all of reality. Um, everything comes out of nothing. Everything becomes more organized over time. Things do not become more organized over time. Um, and then we end up with life coming out of nothing and then life, uh, you know, gets better over time when we know the DNA is actually like a, it's a basically, uh, digital information. It's a digital code, but through this process, we get to, um, something like a chimpanzee and humans uh, branch off of that. And basically humans are just, uh, evolved animals. So one narrative says that God created this reality intentionally and we're made in the image of God. And then the version that you were taught says that the universe created itself through an explosion. Things get better over time and you're just a mutated animal. And believing that is implicit in every decision you make. That's huge. And it's, it's so significant because it's, it literally sets up the entire situation where we have overlords of the elite and they can treat us and, and shape us in a, in a framework that we are chattel for their benefit and, right. uh, and it even directs the decision-making process that allows people to willfully accept the entire idea of being enslaved. So let's roll back to this Moses connection because I'm, it's fascinating that this, the geologist I believe you mentioned is the one that pointed out Moses as the science they wanted to separate from him. What's so significant about that intersection? Wow. That's a great question. Um, Moses, okay, so Jesus gives a story in in the Gospel of Luke where uh, Lazarus goes to hell or Sheol or whatever, and he says, uh, he says, tell my brothers that this happened so they don't come down here. I don't want them to come down here. And Jesus says in it, uh, in this in this in this parable, he said they didn't listen to Moses or the prophets, the law or the prophets. So neither will they listen to you. So check this out. Moses gave the scientific historical framework for this reality in the book of Genesis. And then the prophets prophesied Jesus and the end. Like the whole, we, we have the whole story. We have our history, the present, the time they were in, and the future. And so Jesus is saying they don't believe Moses' account. They're not going to believe the prophet's account. The entire book is undone when you get rid of the Genesis account. So when Lyell, the, the father of modern geology, said he wanted to get rid of Moses, everybody at that point largely believed that a catastrophic flood happened. This story permeates every civilization. You know, the Chinese have it, the Native Americans have it. We all have this story of this, this huge deluge. So everybody believed it. And when they would look at canyon formations and finding fossils on mountains and fossils in the desert, whatever. They were like, yeah, the flood happened. So Lyell set out to prove something called uniformitarianism. Uniformitarianism says that everything that's happened, everything that we see is a product of things that have happened. 
slow changes over time. What uniformitarianism is brilliant because in order to get the Grand Canyon without a flood, you need a long time, right? This river carved out this canyon over how long would that take? Millions, millions, hundreds of millions of years. So you come up with this idea that refutes the deluge, gets rid of the biblical narrative of the flood, and introduces deep time, which they need for evolution. So it was a deliberate attack to basically uh, discredit scientifically the book of Genesis. Because once you get rid of Genesis, you get rid of the prophets, you get rid of Jesus, the whole thing becomes a fairy tale, which is where we're at today. Let's talk about that time, that time frame. This is obviously one of the hot issues between those of Christian faith and the atheists. Where do you see the time frame actually being versus what they say it is? Right. So I consider myself uh, agnostic on the time, meaning I don't know. Uh, on a scale of one to 10, I'm about a six or seven that it's a young earth. Uh, I like, this is kind of uh, a little bit contrarian, but seven to 12,000 years. You know, I know Graham, uh, Graham Hancock talks about 12,000 years quite a bit uh, for some of these ancient civilizations. I, I I think that if we take a topical reading of the text, we get to 6,500 years, and I'm fine with that, but I could see a margin of error maybe getting out to 12,000 years. But when you research, like when, when I say something to your to the Bard family, welcome. Uh, thanks, Bard family, for having me. It's nice to be on here again. Um, but if I talk to the Bard family and I go, yeah, I believe the earth is young, immediately they're going to get red flags, right? They're going to go, no, we know how old it is. Well, they don't know how old it is. They have uh, inferences based on things like uh, starlight, distant starlight, uh, radiometric dating. And even these uh, beliefs that they've had to prove this you know, ancient uh, universe, ancient earth, are in serious trouble right now because of new data that's coming out. You know, the James Webb Telescope just came out and took pictures of the furthest reaches of the universe. Are you familiar with this, the data that they just received? Not the most current, no. So basically this happened in like July, but basically uh, they said that uh, according to their belief, the Big Bang happened 14 billion years ago, 13.7. And then you know, as the matter expands, it starts to uh, aggregate, get together. You start to get uh, stars first, hydrogen, helium fuse, stars ignite, and then that has a massive uh, gravity. And then all the dust, the particulate in space starts to accrete, to aggregate, to get together. And then you start to get, you know, proto planets and proto galaxies. So when they looked out to, with their time machine of the uh, James Webb Space Telescope, they looked out to the furthest reach of the end of the universe. They thought they would see the forming of galaxies, um, you know, the, the start of them, some pre-galaxy kind of thing. Well, they get the data back and it's fully formed, fully symmetrical, large galaxies. And it just broke cosmology for a little bit there. You could read all of the articles. This isn't what we expected at all. We were wrong about it, whatever. Well, the narrative's changing. You got guys like Neil deGrasse Tyson running around going, no, this is exactly what we predicted. There's nothing to see here. There's no man behind the curtain. But what it does, what it does is it shows that they don't know how the universe is. They don't know how it formed. They don't know when it formed. And it even brings something in here. This is really controversial. There's a creationist astrophysicist named Jason Lyle, and he predicted that the James Webb would see at the edge of the universe fully formed galaxies. He's the only scientist to make such a prediction. He said that because he believes that light is instantaneous at infinite distances, which, I, you know, we haven't talked about that. But if I tell you that that star isn't seven light years away, 
what does that do to your brain? How do you process that? That's huge because that's, that completely undoes everything that we ever understand about the speed of light, which all takes us back to Einstein. Right. We're going to get to Einstein. But like, okay, so think of it this way. They say that the sun is eight light minutes away. That means that if the sun exploded right now, you wouldn't see it for eight minutes. Just not to put you on the spot, but as you think about that intuitively, do you feel like that would happen? Do you think the sun would go out and it would take eight minutes for that light to get here? Just does that make sense to your logic? No, it does not. Right. And intuitively, we know that light is basically instantaneous. So is it or is it not? We don't know. But one of the major... Um, uh, what uh, claims that uh, the universe is 14 billion years old is that these, you know, lights at 14 billion light years away took 14 billion light years to get here. But what this says is either, and this is huge, either they were wrong about when the universe formed, wrong about how the universe formed, or wrong about light being uh, traveling at a speed. And that all three of these are really, really damning evidences for the secular scientific world which is why when you hear them talk about it, they basically say misinformation. Um, you got to trust the science here. You can't trust your eyeballs. What you see doesn't matter. What we tell you matters. You know, this kind of standard control of information that they do. But if, if light is instantaneous, then basically that's that idea of the universe being old is, uh, is not an issue. And the next one would be radiometric dating. And radiometric dating is the strongest piece of evidence in favor of uh, the Earth being older. But there's even problems with, with radiometric dating, whether we get into it or not, we don't know. But what the Bible says is, you know, 7,000 years ago, this reality was created. Then there was a flood. And if we were taught that reality, Scott, if we were taught, uh, you know, first off, we don't know how old it is. It could be 7,000 years, it could be 70,000 years. All we know for sure is that uh, civilization began in Mesopotamia at about 5,000 5, years ago. Then people might go, hey, I could take the Bible seriously. So interde uh, you know, interjecting this uh, deep time idea was really important for them to start to dispel the timeline of the Bible because the Bible says six days, 6,500 years ago. And we all collectively, I would say in the world right now, most people, 8 billion people on the earth, probably a good 6 billion people think that the universe is 13 billion years old. So they had to really kind of push this narrative. But it's exciting that new information that's coming up is supporting a younger earth or at least uh making them have pause that the confidence level that they had about how the universe got here and when is in question um so the uh i know you you, you uh, understand how they control information but unsurprisingly jason lyle's prediction didn't end up on cnn <laughs> and you could imagine if this was something that you know uh, one of the secular scientists had come up with it would have been everywhere scientists predicts this thing but he predicts it based on the Bible. It shows up totally valid. They sweep it under the rug, discredit the guy, and we just keep continuing uh, to believe that you can't trust the Bible. Amazing. Let's delve into some quantum concepts. This is complex for people. I've talked quantum on the channel, so it's not like it's unfamiliar. But I think you have a, an exceptional gift of taking very complex issues in science and putting them into tangible, in a very understandable ways. I'd like to just kind of get a foundation on this a little bit. Quantum in its sense, quantum in the multiple realities coexisting, and equally uh, quantum entanglement is kind of some themes I want to kind of begin with because I think they lead us very much into deep scriptural understanding. I think uh, you and I are a couple of the only Christians that kind of embrace quantum uh, information as as validating scripture, but I very much see it as that. So 
Uh, this is going to take a while to unpack, so please interrupt me whenever. And then, you know, I, there was three requests there. I'll try to get to all three of them, but it's going to be a little bit jumping around. So I want to start this with Einstein again, because Einstein, when, we know when people think of the penultimate, you know, scientific pioneer, they think of Albert Einstein. It's what they do. Uh, he was really, he had this look to him and, uh, you know, he changed reality with this belief system. And he's just this venerated, you know, priest of the religion of science. Well, people don't know this about Einstein, but he predicted a steady state universe, which was wrong. He predicted, uh, he he put in the, the cosmologic constant, uh, which ended up being wrong. He pushed this idea that quantum physics isn't a valid scientific endeavor, uh, which ended up being wrong. He actually was part of the suppression of quantum physics. Um, as Niels Bohr and the other uh, quantum physicists, theoretical physicists, were really figuring out that there was a substrate to this reality that seemed to be it, it definitely counterintuitive, uh, potentially information-based, user-dependent. Um, this was absolutely in opposition to Einstein's really rigid belief that space, time, and matter are all that there are. Well, quant the quantum world, the quantum just means small. When they started looking at uh, what makes an atom do what an atom does? What makes gravity do what gravity does? What makes everything actually tick? It's this um, counterintuitive, uh, hard to reconcile with how we see reality um, and definitely uh, entirely in opposition to materialism because the particles that make up this reality that we can't see with our eyes are listening to us, watching us, waiting. They're in a state of potentiality until we, the user, the conscious mind, measure them or engage with them. And then the particles that make up this reality assimilate uh, and very potentially, uh, according to what we believe they're going to assimilate into. This is really bizarre and it can get woo-woo-y really quick, but we'll clarify it later where you know this fits into witchcraft and you know, you've got this whole Joe Rogan, uh, New Agey, uh, spiritualist thing that they're basically what these people are doing is taking the truth of this substrate, but cutting God out of the picture yet again and repurposing it for their good while the Christians remain inert and, you know, don't, uh, they're not able to access this. They're just kind of uh, victims to whatever these people want to use quantum uh, against uh, the church, unfortunately. But anyways, this, this, this particle situation, I think the easiest way to think about it is you have a particle that spins and it, it, while it's spinning, almost like a roulette wheel, it could land on black or red or up or down, whatever the kind of binary choice would be. It's in this state, uh, quantum physicists call it superposition. So it's in a superposition of uncertainty. And what causes the roulette wheel to stop spinning is an observer looking at it. So imagine this roulette wheel could spin eternally at this you know, cosmic casino just never going to stop. And then you, the gambler, look at it, I bet red, and boom, it shows up red or black. This state of superposition is always going to be determined by a conscious human being. This is this doesn't make any sense in the standard materialist model because the universe should be happening to us, not because of us. We shouldn't be implicit in the outcome. And it's such a radical derivation from what we were taught that if we if we could kind of embrace this and understand it 
and let me be very clear here, you understand this in accordance with the word of God. You know, this is where having faith and praying and, you know, seeking God is very important because unfortunately you can access this. Jesus says that God causes the sun to shine on the good and on the evil. This principle, this universal uh, mechanism is available for for good use and for bad use with and without God, unfortunately. And it, it would be my contention, I, I think probably yours too, that the devil who was involved in creation, maybe he was on God's side at the time, and then he flipped after, we don't know particularly, but he's got a, a, a inside look at the inner workings of how these things work. So he knows how this quantum physical thing would work. So then when you have this kind of satanic world system, that you know Jesus was taken to a high place by Satan said, "If you bow your knee to me, you can uh, be in charge of all these world, uh, you know, all these kingdoms." These people that decide to choose to bend their knee to Satan get access to a lot of this information, and they've been using it uh, for their gain to keep money, get money, have power, control us, be healthy, etc. This gets into like vampires and stuff. I'd like to talk about that at one point, but uh, basically, them accessing this kind of arcane knowledge. Well, we. We, I, I venture to say that the vast majority of us, because we probably literally believe it's a material reality, because that's what we were taught when we didn't know any better. Somebody that we trusted told us, and we believe this. It's probably very hard for us to uh, understand this, but you know, Jesus over and over in Scripture, your faith has made you whole. Uh, you know what you believe uh, becomes true, uh, as a man believes, so he is. So I, I would say action items, and then I'm gonna get back into the science. Uh, you know, this idea that. You're basically a dead man walking, and it's only your doctor that keeps you alive with his medicine. Isn't how it actually works. I mean, it can be if you believe it. This is where like placebo comes into effect. But rather, if you believe that God is keeping you healthy and He is keeping you whole, and that God made your body to heal itself, and your focus is there, uh, you know, you're gonna. There's something called quantum biology. It even affects that because it's, it's every particle that makes up this reality is in this indeterminate state. So, okay, the over overarching view of, of how quantum works, but then um, back to Einstein. Einstein's physics, he replaced Newton in the headspace of, of basically how we interpret this reality. Newton, who loved God, uh, came up with Newtonian physics, and he said, uh, equal and opposite reactions, things don't come out of uh, nowhere, uh, et cetera, laws of thermodynamics, we know how uh, reality actually works. Einstein comes in and rewrites this, with his new uh, general relativity, his kind of special uh, understanding of how this reality works. Well, as quantum physics comes into vogue with the uh, Copenhagen interpretation of quantum physics, Einstein's fighting these guys. He's saying, this is spooky action at a distance. I refuse it. I refuse to believe this uh, quantum entanglement. He didn't like it. He basically thought it was like witchcraft or voodoo or whatever. And uh, he refused to um, give it any kind of clout. Well, the scientific community adopted Einstein's stance on this, and we would have never had – well, this is kind of a bold statement, but it would have been hard for us to ever get into quantum physics because the scientific – the materialist scientific community just said, hogwash, we're not touching it, we're out of it, Einstein doesn't like it, we're not doing it. And then uh, there was a, a quantum physicist named Bell, John Bell, and he came up with the inequality experiment, and he basically proved quantum entanglement. So he's, he's proving quantum entanglement, basically pulling it out of the ashes – and meanwhile, science isn't uh, adopting this at all. And there was a group out of San Francisco called the Fundamental Physics Group. And this group out of San Francisco, there were these new agey, Eastern, you know, mystic kind of thing, but also, uh, you know, uh, amateur particle, particle physicists. They pulled quantum physics back out and salvaged it. 
So a really interesting thing in the history of science is Einstein basically squashed quantum physics and then this radical hippie group of particle physicists brought it back out of the ashes. And to this day, like we use quantum physics today with our uh, almost all computers, um, you know, most, most of our technology is based in quantum information. So uh, it wouldn't have even existed. And this is how strong being able to control the narrative is as far as replacing the truth with this lie. And they were replacing, uh, you know, what is idealism, consciousness creating this reality and consciousness affecting this reality with materialism. And they did it through Einstein. So kind of that's like a 30,000 foot view. I'd love to get into the science of it a little bit more. Do you want me to, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I do. I, I think it's important that we get a couple of principles down. And it's the principle of all the realities exist simultaneously and you hit, hit it. it. And it's a really key principle. We're affecting the universe. It's not there to serve us. We're the ones that are affecting the universe. Right. And then the other part of this, which is as you unpack this, unpack quantum entanglement. Because to understand Luciferianism, you have to understand quantum entanglement. And if you don't understand quantum entanglement, you don't understand the whole ritual and abuse and sacrifice and crazy stuff they do. So I also want to get into that, uh, the abuse sacrifice stuff as part of the kind of overarching theme of that. Hopefully we can kind of, you know, come back to occasionally of um, our history, the biblical history and what is the nature of reality and how we got here having been replaced with a fairy tale, which is materialism and evolution. So what the biblical history is and the biblical truth, uh, it, it talks about um, uh, the flood and giants and dragons and even vampires. And these people are vampires. And hopefully we can get back into that later, but there's a quantum physical part to it. Um, so we'll, we'll discuss entanglement, but then getting into proof of action, how they use it, I think is a really interesting idea. And then tying it into us disbelieving that these vampires exist. Uh, I, I was thinking of making a, a fiction book about how the vampires that run the show uh, taught the world that they didn't exist. What did Kaiser Sose say? The greatest trick of the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. But um, okay, so quantum entanglement is uh, is the phenomenon that Einstein called spooky action at a distance. And basically what you have is you have uh, photons. Uh, I think it could be any particle that that are definitely photons but they're uh, they're married they're entangled they're uh they orient themselves in the same direction you affect one it affects the other and they don't it doesn't matter how far away they're separate and there's no time um there's no delay in time of the information communicating between these two so basically um the, the, the easy kind of thought experiment is you take these entangled photons and you put them on one side of the universe uh, from the other. So 13 billion layers away, if there is such a thing as 13 billion layers, and uh, you move one to the right, the one, the other one moves to the right at the exact same time. Well, how is this possible? They have to be communicating. Well, if they're communicating and they're across the universe and they're 13 billion layers away and they're communicating in real time, this either breaks information being limited by the speed of light, which is a possibility based on what we were talking about earlier. But it could also, uh, it, it introduces an idea called non-locality. And non-locality is a really tough pill to swallow for the materialist because it basically states that this uh, the space of this reality is an illusion, that we're, we aren't separate. You and I aren't separate. I know, we're, you know wherever you're at, wherever I'm at, you know, however many thousand miles, we're actually in the same reality and the distance between us is an, is an illusion. I think the best way to 
put this together in a thought experiment is if you imagine a, um, you know, uh, Thanksgiving just happened. So imagine Dallas plays on the football, you know, the football night or whatever, and you have a 72 inch screen and on the 72 inch screen, you've got Dask, Dak Prescott on one side and, you know, a, a fan on the other side, those in Dallas, they're hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet apart on your 70 inch screen. They're what? 68 inches apart. If you had that same game on your cell phone, they're four and a half inches apart. The distance between them is an illusion based on the actual particles or the pixels, let's say on the screen, are equidistant from the source of information, which would be the hard drive. So, or, or you know, with your computer, the tube or whatever I know, so they use now. But so basically the idea is these two pixels on the far side of the screen from one another. It doesn't matter if they're four inches or 40 inches or four billion light years away. They're connected to the same information. And that information would be the substrate of this reality, the program, the whatever, whatever this reality is. It's, you know, I'd love to get in simulation maybe a little bit later, but the particles are connected to the information source, which is why they look like they're communicating in real time to one another because the distance between them is an illusion. Does that make any sense? Oh, absolutely. I think the question that it comes up that I th I would imagine other people are, are asking is, how does this entanglement get created? Because when we talk about the fundamentals of quantum, mm -hmm. it is all these realities coexist simultaneously, but they're different realities. Suddenly we have two particles that are actually like twins, if you will, mm -hmm. and they are at a distance and they're moving together. So how does that bond get created? And I'm leading this in a particular direction because as I see this, this leads us to the whole concept of grooming and child ritual abuse. Wow. I didn't expect to go quantum physics to there, but I'm excited to get your take on it. So uh, I'll disclose something that I like to say for later in my talks as to not discredit myself. But uh, I think that this intelligently designed reality is information-based. Um, God says that uh, he spoke this reality into existence. And if you study the the kind of the the Kabbalist Jewish tradition, and I don't I don't suggest people get into Kabbalism. I do a lot of research, so guard your heart whenever you you know research anything. But we've we researched the occult, and you know you have to go into dark spaces with with the work that we do. But anyway, so I don't I'm not advocating for Kabbalism at all. I think it's actually you know the Jewish mysticism, and I think there's a very dark side to it. But anyways, they teach that when God created this reality, He created the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet and the numbers zero through nine. And the way that he assembled the letters together create this reality. Well, that sounds to me like computer coding. And that's actually the first documentary I made. It's called The Operating System. It's what got me into content creation, this idea that we're in a, a simulated reality and that the software coding is the Torah, is which would mean this idea that the word was made flesh and everything was made by the word would actually kind of make sense. Anyways, that's another whole thing to unpack. I'm not saying it's a computer. It doesn't have to be a computer, but an information-based reality. Well, if that's the case, then the information is the 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 mind of God, what he what he had intended, what he spoke this reality into existence. So I think that there's a substrate of information, of potentialities, and how we interact with it uh, determines what comes in and out of existence and where the uh, the particles, you know, which orientation they end up in. So I couldn't tell you where the entangled particles originate from. Um, but it would be, I think, information-based initially. So one more example on the simulation, and then I'd like love to hear your take on this. But uh, in a video game, 
the video game is rendered around the user. The computer doesn't render the entire game universe you're in. If it's, you know, Grand Theft Auto and you're Liberty City, the game doesn't build the entire universe of Liberty City or, or, or you know, globe, whatever Liberty City is. It only builds it outside of the frame or outside of the uh, ability to perceive it of the game user. It's called rendering. So as your guy walks through there, Liberty City exists as a potentiality, and then you literally going to the next part of the world opens up that part of the world. So where did these uh, entangled particles start from? Maybe they were encoded in as a potentiality uh, at the beginning, and then you know they become manifest by us interacting with them. So this is how I was kind of looking at this from the quantum and quantum entanglement piece. And again, this will be a very interesting exchange. So when we take fundamentally the idea that all realities exist simultaneously, then there is a potential that a reality exists that you or I are abused. That's just a fundamental aspect to this information reality. So when you take ritual abuse to begin with, you are, from my perspective, what you're doing is two things. You're branding, so to speak, burning in the code so that it becomes the base code and it is, and it can't see outside of that. You've limited the view to a specific reality choice and it be, it's so deeply buried in that it now can't easily be separated out. In fact, the only thing that we know that can separate it out is the acceptance of Christ in their life. That comes through work of deliverance. So when you start to look at this base code that's being burned into them, then the handler who is remote can still manipulate that person by virtue of the fact that they've delivered the code. So this is a, an extension in the physical of the quantum entanglement. And then through ritual rituals, they can also affect the quantum field that these, all of these people are affected. So here is a living example. I believe we're living through an example of this right now. And that is, when they brought out the whole COVID idiocy that came out, that was done with rituals behind it that moved it across the world that activated a base code that was in millions of people, which was fear and the fear of a pandemic that has spent years building through movies, indoctrination, etc. So the quantum entanglement was activated. And suddenly you saw this compliant mass, which was absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. When we move now to this next level of transgenderism and this whole mainstreaming of grooming, that's a whole group of people that have over the years been put in place that have been prepped for this moment that through rituals, literally blood rituals, which is blood is the blood is the key and the code and the bond through the blood rituals and sacrifice. They're able to activate the quantum entanglement and suddenly out of nowhere, everybody starts acting differently. They've literally shifted a reality before our very eyes using quantum and quantum entanglement for the evil. Wow. That was awesome. Okay. So, uh, I, I want to, I've made six notes there. And, uh, the first one is the, the idea that the traumatic experience creates the quantum, uh, the quantumly entangled particles. Is it, am I understanding that correctly? It activates a reality because we, I think the quantum and the entanglement exists. Like you said, we don't really know the origin of it, but I think that what it does is it spawns that entanglement out of, into the reality where it becomes the dominant reality. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's entirely possible. That would definitely be speculative. Uh, I would want to think about it for a little bit. But the, uh, I, I think you're uh, 100% right on as far as uh, affecting a child's subconscious mind. 
you know, the Bible says this is a battle uh, of, of the mind, not of flesh and blood. And, you know, this, if we are in a idealist information-based reality, how we interact with this reality determines the reality that we, we are in. Um, and so, you know, when a child is abused uh, sexually, physically, emotionally, you know, by a family member or parent or whatever, that becomes, that's, that's in their reality. That's in their coding, like you said. Um, and it's very hard to break that. And most uh, issues, autoimmune issues and addiction issues, and, you know, even suicide and stuff, uh, some of this gender dysphoria, a lot of that can be a result of this basically cracked mainframe or cracked foundational, you know, kind of neuroscientific betting that, that, you know, your brain has to experience this reality through. So I would agree with that. I could see it being quantum and it being a quantum entangled uh, uh, effect because, I mean, we are dealing with particles, uh, you know, bits of light, bits of information. Um, and so where it's entangled or just, um, you know, finding uh, an orientation out of a state of superposition. I'm not sure if it has to be either, but regardless, it would be that there's a really exciting front coming of um, quantum biology and quantum neuroscience. And they're figuring out, you know, through these microtubules and through this process, you have this unbelievable uh, interaction from consciousness, which is called the hard problem. You know, the secularist materialists want to try to say that consciousness is a product of the brain, of the brain that's been disproven through multiple different kinds of tests. But the consciousness, uh, how you think uh, it generates, you know, through your neuro, neuroplasticity, through your neurowiring, you know, it generates the different pathways of how your consciousness is going to then engage with your body, how your, you know, body, body physically responds to a situation, you know, basically the reality you end up in. And so what at a base quantum level, that interaction from consciousness to, you know, what that coding or what that information is, I'm hopefully they'll come up with some really interesting science in the next few years. And it very much might validate what you're saying. Again, whether they're quantumly entangled pairs or it's just, um, you know, a, a particle uh, going from a state of potential into a rigid state, I think both of those would, uh, you know, end up being kind of the same way. But so you mentioned COVID and you mentioned the introducing the idea. And I, I made the note of predictive programming. We're very familiar with predictive programming and them, you know, they, uh, if you've read the book, The Wreck of the Titan, they predicted the Titanic before 14 years before it happened. Uh, you know, a lot of the 9-11 stuff was predicted. You know, we've seen um, this with COVID, like you said, 12 Monkeys uh, was the first movie that came to mind when you mentioned that, you know, scaring everybody about this pandemic. What was the one um, outbreak? Uh, you know, the, they've been kind of enforcing this idea. So then when it happens, like you said, now you're linked up to that reality. Um, and with COVID, they released Event 201 <laughs> like uh, two months before it actually uh, had the COVID started. Did you Have you seen Event 201? Oh yes, it's it's fantastic programming. <laughs> it's it, it's it's it, the chronology, how the media was going to react to the vaccine is unbelievable. Uh, how accurately they predicted it. So yeah, that would make sense that they kind of create this reality uh, and then attach you to it through quantum entanglement. I hadn't heard it that way, but checks out to me. But the reason I say this is their rituals are important to them, and it's not something to take lightly. It's interesting when you talk to Satanists or in, in any sort of cultist, they have an awareness of quantum entanglement. Right. They understand very well what they're doing and what they can do to affect things in a reality. Right. So this is one of their, their uh, you know, the in the pentagram, 
they have, you know, there's basically triangles, right? Mm -hmm. They use these, these connections, even when they come into a room, they'll be putting people in locations to create a field that affects a space as they do their rituals and incantations within a room. And even if it's under their breath, their presence there is literally affecting and shaping the field of energy that's in there. They believe that I, I mean, people can refute it and say, oh, it's not all nonsense. It's like, whatever. To understand the occult, you better understand how they see things. And I know that their awareness of quantum is not small and quantum entanglement. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, again, the idea that the devil was either involved in creation, you know, says, let us make man in our image was as part of, you know, the heavenly assembly. We don't know particularly. Uh, it makes sense to me that Lucifer was on the good side. And then after the universe was created, yeah, he, he switched teams. We don't know particularly, but if that is the case, he understands kind of at a root level how it would work. And again, this idea of equipping his people for his agenda with the true science while keeping us in a, you know, basically a disillusioned state of believing in material reality is a very effective way to control the hearts and minds of men. And, you know, I think we both use the term information war. What you think, what you believe very much matters. And these, these you know, you talk about the occult or whatever, uh, the spells, the, I know that I've heard this could be kind of too conspiracy, but some of these major pop albums, you know, they would take like the masters and chant over them or whatever. I don't know particularly, but this idea of them using basically what we would determine, what we would call magic, which was just quantum physics, um, it would make sense that they were doing it and that they've, you know, we're finally kind of waking up right now to this reality. But, you know, a big part of this is, is you know, what they said, you mentioned with their mouth, uh, you know, the, the word abracadabra, the word, the, when they say abracadabra, uh, it's abracadabra and it's with my voice I create. And it's actually a perversion of when God spoke this reality into existence, you know, so, you know, it's like abracadabra and they do the thing and they're doing magic. And uh, there's this really weird mix. Maybe we'll get into it of, of magic and science. And, you know, even like, uh, remember the witch's brew. It was like, I have newt and leg of a toad and all these different things. And they would, she'd make this witch's brew. And then you look at vaccines and it's like, I have newt and leg of a toad. And like, they're doing the same kind of thing. So there's this, there's these um, self-evident truths uh, that our ancestors knew uh, that permeate our reality. And basically, through the control of information, the, the system has forced us to disbelieve any of that. And, 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 and it's even worse than that, you know, through this indoctrination, the education system, if you, you, you go through as a child and you hear it enough times and you're just reinforced this idea, how old the universe is, it ha happened by, you know, it created itself. You're just an animal. There's nothing immaterial, uh, you know, Einstein's suppressing that information, science suppressing that information. People literally believe this material reality. Meanwhile, you know, our ancestors knew, uh, a good example is giants, um, I know I'm kind of going a little bit off here, but we'll go back to the quantum thing in a second, but giants literally have existed. They exist today, like, you know, obviously smaller giants, but we've got NBA players that are seven and a half feet tall. We had Andre the Giant, you know, Robert Wadlow, he was, you know, nine feet tall. They tell you that giants don't exist. They tell you they don't exist um, and they do exist. We've seen them historically. So 
we live in this place of cognitive dissonance where it's like, okay, giants do exist. They historically exist, but we don't believe them. Why? Because this would point to this a material, maybe even biblically supported narrative. So we don't believe those things. And meanwhile, what we do believe is the the anti-truth, This the information that's happening to us. And so the, when you talk about quantum physics, um, you got to know that the devil, unfortunately, knows how it works. And he's been basically, we're in a casino game and the, the house, it's rigged in the house's favor. And a big step of us getting out of it is understanding that what we think matters and what we say matters. You know, uh, Christians get really stuck on not cussing. You know, if you say the S word or whatever, you're a bad Christian. Well, what does it actually say? It says, don't curse and don't swear. Don't swear by heaven. Don't swear by God on his throne and and don't curse. What is cursing? I know I curse you with a whatever, like a, you know, people, you people, like witches and stuff do like negative curses, physical ailments, you know, financial ailments, whatever. Because what we say the universe is hearing it. The universe is like Alexa. It's, it's like listening to things that we say. So meanwhile, the the people running and working with the devil system know what they say matters and don't say the wrong things and use their voices to in this abracadabra way to you know basically cast spells and control in a quantum environment. Um, you know, the, the, I would say the masses. I know it sounds very conspiracy. And meanwhile, Christians, uh, you know, don't don't take this seriously enough. And so, how do we? How do we understand that this is a reality, that science is catching up to it? And how do we, as Christians, be aware of it, not be brought into it in a you know manifestation way, and also, you know, understand that the enemy has these plans for us and try to, you know, keep keep that out of our lives. I think that's an important thing Christians need to start focusing on. No, I completely agree. I think what's real interesting here and in what you're talking about is words have the power of life and death. Right. And it, they, they literally do, and the intention matters completely on all of this. And so as they have worked very hard, they meaning those in control, and ultimately the master and the father of lies has worked very hard to keep us blind to the power of what the true gift is within us. They mimic, for, they don't, they can't create, they mimic. Right. Yet God's given us this power, in my opinion, to have this complete control of time and space before us. And so the, the I go to the place in Scripture where Christ says you can move a mountain from here to there, or even the reference to the faith of a mustard seed. And I think it's important for people to truly understand that. I mean, this is, I've talked about this, and my perspective is that you're not doing some sort of magic of lifting up a mountain and carrying it over to, you know, like another side, much little elves pick it up and walk it over somewhere. You're what we're talking about here. And I think this is where you and I talked about this at the beginning. I've seen this and have said this here is that Christ was teaching the world a very fundamental, very kindergarten level aspect of quantum physics as the core of who we are. Because as you said already, we have lived in a material world where the world and the universe affects us instead of embracing the fact as we're told time and again, that we affect the world. And when we do that, we're working in a quantum space. And so the idea of moving a mountain from here to there is in very layman's terms of quantum physics is literally choosing another reality to where it literally does move, but it's in a different reality shift. Wow. Um, I love that you said Jesus was here to teach us quantum physics. I've uh, I had one buddy that told me that uh, told me that a few years ago. This Romanian guy who was 
you know, a big Christian and into conspiracy and stuff. And it's really stuck. And, and I, I absolutely agree with you. So it's really cool that, uh, that you've pl- played around with that idea too. So, okay. Jesus teaching us about quantum physics, uh, is important and it actually ties into Einstein. We're going to go back to Einstein, the hack. Okay. So, uh, Einstein forced upon us materialism and used science in air parentheses to validate this. And anybody who questioned him uh, didn't understand science. And to this day, if you go, you know what, Einstein, I'm a, I'm a Newtonian physics guy, not an Einsteinian physics guy. I'm not sure if I trust Einstein, you would just get booed out of the room. Well, Einstein teaches materialism. And you, you, the, you know, Madonna, she had that big hit. Uh, we're living in a material world. So I am a material girl. This is what you get with me. I'm sorry, but it's like Jesus, Einstein, and Madonna. Somehow it all fits together. But you get, um, we are in a material world, thanks, Einstein. So since we're in a material world, I want material things. Jesus said, we are in an immaterial world. The kingdom of heaven is around you. You're in a test. You're here for a certain amount of time, and then you're done. Jesus said, don't store your treasures up on earth. He said, store them in the cloud, basically. He said, uh, store them in heaven. Now, they're competing worldviews. This is what I'd said earlier and what we'll continue you know, going back to. It, the version that Einstein brought you, promoted by Madonna, promotes, promotes uh, consumerism and consumer debt. And people don't realize this because it's it's it, it, it'd be hard to intellectually be intellectually honest enough with yourself to even step back and go, wow, it's true. But we are we are in a, a debt slavery system that was um, something that we consigned ourselves to. We opted in. Now we didn't fully opt in because our parents said we should do it, and the school system said we should do it, whatever. But we literally are serving money. And Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You can you serve God or mammon. You serve God or your paycheck. And we all basically serve our paycheck. And most Christians, I mean, and I get this. I was this guy. I've been this guy a big chunk of my life. Uh, it's like it, your your real focus is your job. And you, God and Jesus is like, you know, you, you go visit him for an hour at church uh, on weekends. You have visitation rights. And Jesus was talking about a totally radical, different reality, antithetical to Einstein's model, antithetical to the system, and it's one of the reasons why they killed him. He he came down. He came to uh, tear down this world system that Satan tempted him to uh, agree to. It's really interesting when you study Jesus as the second Adam. But basically, the serpent came to Adam, and uh, he took the bait. And then the serpent came to Jesus, and he didn't take the bait. And there's a couple other corollaries if we want to get back into that later about uh, validating the scriptural narrative. But Jesus didn't take the bait. He he shunned the temptation of the serpent. And then he went on to say, uh, I'm homeless. And I don't have a place to lay my head. Uh, I'm not worried about money. This life isn't about money. And I think in a sense, quantum physically, he was teaching us to not make this reality about getting money. Well, believing we're in a purely material reality, which is eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die – is is antithetical to this thing Jesus was saying. Jesus was a minimalist, uh, not not you know uh, into consumer debt. So, anyways, Jesus was talking about these kind of bigger ideas of you you can't in your mind serve the system and serve the money and serve God, and uh, this really upset the system. And basically, the world wants us to the world system wants us to not think about why we're here, not think about what we're doing. Um, 
you know, fit in line as a widget maker, pay our taxes, pay our 30 year mortgage off. And one day you're dead and gone. And your entire reality, this gift that God had given you uh, has been spoken for by, you know, kind of adopting this world system model. So I know that's kind of a lot, but uh, Jesus, I think was very specific about what you say matters. Um, you know, he said, it's not what you put in your mouth. It's what comes out that matters. And because what comes out of your mouth comes from your heart. There's this really interesting connection that our heart might be our actual brain and our brain might just be our operating system, you know, like a, like an instrumentation panel. Uh, I know that's a, what the ancients used to always teach, you know, my heart, it's in the heart, a man's heart is corrupt. You know, we even say things like our heart is broken, but we just, we think our heart is a meaningless four muscle, you know, component and we don't give it any credence. So we're literally like out of touch with our heart and our physiology. Anyways, Jesus said, what you say comes out of your heart and that matters. And if you look at this quantum physically, he's saying that how you perceive this reality and what you're about in your heart, what your focus is, what your intention is, you know, who you are at a base level is going to be manifest through your mouth and affect the reality around you. So real quick on that, because I think you're onto something very important. The, the injection, this death shot that we've been giving people has been corrupting the heart with myocarditis. Ooh. It's not missed, and I've talked about this a lot, that when you watch the World Economic Forum's COVID videos and the future of the fourth industrial revolution, the one thing that they constantly put in there is the 3D printing of the heart. So essentially what we're talking about is turning, basing transhumanism on destroying the, the brain of the body, which is the heart, and the operating system is now is now hijacked through this transfer of blood-brain barrier technology, which is really graphene oxide and nanotech. So the two then are rewritten, and your entire body system becomes hijacked or hacked by this new medical fourth industrial revolution. So I want to take that just a little step further in something wow. you said, which is, and I didn't respond to all this, but we are dealing with, um, when you're talking about Einstein and materialism, we have to go back a little bit further because what we're missing there is the whole debate, which was very instrumental in shaping entire societies in the West, which was the debate between Adam Smith and the wealth of nations, which was based on mercantilism, which was a nationalist strategy that where you would have people working to produce excess product, which is then to export it to other countries. So at that point, people were fairly in a more self-sufficient mode, but mercantilism brought up the excess of wealth, hence the wealth of nations, and the excess of material production, but it was also being done primarily through guild systems, which were trades. Very important. As we move into Das Kapital, which is Marx's documentation of the modern industrial revolution, we see that the transition is happening to turn wealth into the hands of the few by stripping people from the guilds and the trades and putting them as slaves to the machines. And out of that comes Marx's most profound framing, which leads us to the materialist culture, which is literally historical materialism based on a single sentence, which is so important, which is that all relationships of humanity are based on a commodified exchange. Why that is so important is that means wow. that everything people do is based on a, I will do something in return for something else. And that philosophy, which people I don't think even realize, has become, has permeated every aspect of our lives. 
So even in the principle of a heart of a cheerful giver, people give with the expectation of getting something back. Even if it means God's going to replenish me and you hear this, if I give, then I'll get back seven times from God. That's a corrupted view because in the sense of a quantum position, and we look at this from a quantum place again, if we are giving from a cheerful heart without expectations of return, but giving, we're actually shaping a reality and engaging with a reality of true giving. And we don't even know what that looks like, but we're told in scripture that it is truly the way kingdom works, which we haven't lived that. We can imagine it, but it's definitely has to do with unlimited potential and prosperity in a, in a way other than just material accumulation. Wow. Oh, I'd love your uh, knowledge of history. I, I hadn't heard that with Adam Smith, but it makes perfect sense. And I, I appreciate that you kind of, I don't know if correcting is the word, but adding that the idea that this goes back further than Einstein, because it certainly does. It goes all the way back to the garden, in my opinion. Um, but this this idea of reorienting the heart of man uh, into this materialist consumer image that we're that we've been rebuilt in. Uh, is the story of the last, the, the third industrial revolution, I guess you could say. The fourth industrial revolution is is remaking man in the image of of the elites, basically. And, you know, this gets us way into another discussion. But the thing you said about the heart, I hadn't heard that. I hadn't made that connection. That's huge. But we know that you've all know a Harari and crew are wanting to guide the next level of human evolution, not in the image of a God in the sky, but in the image of us, we get to create, they want, they have this God complex. They want to be God and, you know, between um, directing evolution and transhumanism and, you know, putting us in, you know, some sort of metaverse kind of thing, uh, you know, they're, they're hell bent on that. I actually think um, the idea of putting us in a metaverse is probably the end of the story. <laughs> like, uh, I know you covered one of the videos I did last summer, the Yuval Noah Harari one, but God doesn't judge the world because of sin. We, we've always sinned. If God judged us in the world for sin, there would be no world because everybody sins. What happens with these major judgment thresholds is this one world government secular system, anti-God system, gets to such a level of fervency and efficacy and technologic advancement that the reality that God had created is basically either in threat of or basically gone. So God has to reset reset it. Um, interesting they use the great reset because they're just, like you said, they're imposters. But you, you had uh, before the flood, you had this global, highly advanced civilization and uh, the, the, the total contamination of the human genome. You know, the, if the human genome is corrupted since it's information, you can't, you can't fix it. You can't uncorrupt it. One of the reasons God had to do this is that the genome had been corrupted, and the only way to preserve it was to find people that didn't have a corrupted genome, which would have been Noah and his family. So the this civilization was so advanced and so uh, anti-God and had made so much progress, um, God wipes it out. And this is the story of Atlantis. You know, I've talked about the history thing and that our true uh, history has been touted as a fairy tale. And meanwhile, they force us to believe a fairy tale, which is evolution. So this collapsed, uh, this um, destruction of the civilization is the story that we know as Atlantis, you know, a highly advanced civilization that the gods were mad at and they washed them into the sea. Well, it wasn't a a, a city. It was a global, um, a global uh, s uh, system. 
even Manly P. Hall teaches that. I don't suggest you research Manly P. Hall, but he's got some interesting uh, arcane knowledge because of you know the ilk that he was with or whatever. But anyways, he talked about it was a global uh, system. So then after the flood, you have the you have Babylon, and this is Nimrod rebuilding that same system very quickly. And then now we have it again. And I, I would like to go back into that if we, if we run it later, if we want to talk about it more, because there's some really kind of deep studies on what was going on in Babel and even potential to what's going on today with you know them trying to rebuild the same kind of technology. But you end up with today, uh, Yuval Noah Harari of all the ironies set out technologically to basically he's he's at, he's in war with the god of the bible uh, he's he's declared it with his own mouth we're better than the god of the bible we're not afraid of the god of the bible we're making man in our image uh, you can't say anything more offensive and once this becomes you know full transhumanism full genetic manipulation you end up basically as it was in the days of noah which is what you like people need to take jesus's words literally i think we in christianity you mentioned earlier like the doctrinal you know church experience read the word let the Holy Spirit guide you, and just you can take every word Jesus says, basically, literally, and definitely seriously, as it was in the days of Noah, is where we're headed. They're hell bent on doing it, and they're getting closer and closer to it. So, yeah, the whole COVID thing, um, the heart connection—that was a really brilliant connection that you had made. That this is attacking the heart. It makes me want to think like quantum physically. How much of it is uh, the actual serum? You know, the mRNA editing uh, information. And how much of it is a condition of having chosen the world system blindly, loving your life unto death and choosing the world system and that being such a, uh, a basically an offense even to your body that maybe quantum physically it's it's uh, manifesting in this as well, that it's in the heart uh, is really, that's a really profound connection you made. So Patriots, that was Luke from VOR, Voice of Reasons. That was the end of part one. Part two will air in a couple of hours in place of Fishers tonight. It will be part two. Let's pray. Father, we come to you just very blessed and humbled that we can have these amazing discussions with just a, a fellow patriot who has been commissioned and directed by you to force science to prove itself in the face of the Bible. And this is a person who has taken that direction from you deeply and made it his life walk and in so doing has now provided tools for us to address the enemy to disarm the enemy and dismantle the father of lies father we ask that you'll continue to bless this direction of thinking in so many ways to open the minds of so many to bless luke and his channel vor to continue to expand and take on that truth to engage those who deny you and to open the hearts and minds of many as we move forward. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So, Patriots, it's a real blessed. It's been a real blessed conversation I had with Luke, and I'm looking forward for you to hear part two, which will be about the same length. It's about an hour. Just some really mind-opening discussions and looking at just the mightiness of the Bible and the mightiness of God's Word. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for part two of Bards FM. Until then, or until the next time, 
God bless, and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made. Therefore, they can be solved by man. And man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable. And we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push, we climb, we never give in, we become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. 
We pray. We stand. We live by the words, in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath.